Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of two podcasts, uh, starting here on the right. This is Duncan. This is Michael Batnick. I'm Josh Brown, and we are collectively the Compound and Friends, a.k.a. TCAF. Give us a round of applause. Do your folks. All right. We are on the tape podcast. I'm Dan Nathan. This is Guy Dami. That's Danny Moses. Um, you know, listen, we're really honored to be here. You had a great idea. You guys orchestrated this. Duncan did some great work, Nick, your whole team. And you had a mission to do this. Two missions, actually. Really give back to the people who've made this possible for us. You guys listen to our podcast. The feedback's been amazing. And we couldn't do it without them, right? And then Josh is like, we want to raise a lot of money for No Kid Hungry. Um, and yeah. so thank you for including us, Josh. Yeah. And audience, please give yourselves a round of applause because this time of year and in this economy... And with inflation, uh, what it is, nationally, you're hearing stories about the cupboards being bare at kitchens and at pantries, and it's a huge issue. And so you guys just being here and helping us do what we've done means a lot. I know firsthand where the money goes, how it gets used, and it means everything to the people that are looking for that lifeline. So, So again, give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, so the idea for the show tonight is that we're just going to go through 2022. We have a collection of some of the biggest events of the year or the things that move markets. And we'll just we'll go through uh, how we reacted to those things in real time, whether or not they still matter uh, months later. And then we'll do some forward-looking stuff and talk about 2023, which, oh, my God, I can't wait for 23. I've, I've, I, I'm all set with this shit. I'm ready for, I'm ready for the next thing. Um, but let's start with January. Michael, the bear market started on day one, basically. It, the market made a new all-time high. It's January 2nd, I think. And then that was it. That was all she wrote. That was all she wrote. So the S&P 500 ended January 5.8% below uh, the high it set on January 3rd. The Dow had fallen 1,206 points to start the year, or three and a quarter percent, and ended four and a half percent below that first day high. The NASDAQ was down 9% immediately, and it ended the month 11.2% 
below the November highs. Who saw it coming here? Well, I mean, David Tepper comes on CNBC for years, and I get upset because he makes it so simple. And when the Fed was easy, the Fed had rates at zero, he would come on and say, look, it's as simple as this. Don't fight the Federal Reserve. And you know what? He was right. The simplicity of it made me nuts. But if that's true, the same should be true when the Fed's taking away liquidity and adding and raising interest rates. So if you're bullish under that environment, you're effectively fighting the Federal Reserve. And we've been saying that since this time last year, and it's proven to be the case. So the Fed still has their pedal to the metal. So I think, again, if you're bullish this environment, you're fighting the tape a little bit, Josh. It's sick how simple it really was. When you look back, that was the first inkling we got in November that the hiking cycle is here. And that was the top but it, of the nuts. But it wasn't the first signal, okay? Because, like, we started our podcast in January 7th of 2021. And Danny, like he just said, the wonk, and I'm going to let you kind of get into it a yeah. little bit. Danny had, like, a laundry list of things that were just some of the most ludicrous things that he's seen in the markets in his entire career. And we were all focused on, okay, well, the people sale for $69 million. Unprofitable SPACs, the SPAC volume in January of 2021 equaled, it was greater than that of the prior year. And then Q1 SPAC volume was greater than the last 10 years, right? Unprofitable tech companies and the valuation. I mean, the list went on and on and on. And we kind of been harping on those things. And the beauty of doing this is we're timestamp. We had it. We did it where this was like the core thesis. We were equally as frustrated as you guys were. NASDAQ topped out in November of 2021. The S&P kept on going. So Danny, I mean, you, you yeah, were I mean, all over all this. Fourth quarter, 2021. I We were talking about it every week. I didn't understand it. I mean, it really felt that we were at e either be flat or potentially down. The Fed was already telling us they were going to pull liquidity. They were talking about QT. They're going to start raising rates. They put it out there, but we just kept ignoring it. And there was a lot of liquidity still in the market at the time. And plus the invasion was coming. We saw the Russia stuff start, was already coming on the horizon. So I was shell-shocked in Q4. Q1 didn't shock me as much, but I'll tell you one of the things that happened in January, which is ironic because in 2007, I remember when Blackstone went public. It was literally the top yeah. of the market. TPG went public. I think it was January 13th or something like yes. that. I'm like, Right in the time where you would think that, you know, from a private equity perspective, LBOs and things would start to just start to come down. That was actually, that day may even have been the top. So the signs were everywhere, but it always takes, well, on the short side, you're always going to be early when you're short, but things are starting to line up. I mean, I'm not going to fast forward and ruin December of, of this right. year, but, you know, fast forward now into where we are. But I was shocked by Q4. If you go back, Josh, and take out just Q4, look at the chart. I think the S&P was called 43, 4,400. Yeah. That, 40, that last 400 points didn't make sense to me. So... I remember Blackstone going public June of 2007, and it wasn't long before. Uh, was that the actual the top? Was October? I mean, it was within a week. Yeah, it was in. Yeah, it was, it was close yeah. enough. Yeah, it was close okay. enough. Elizabeth Holmes was found guilty in ja January 3rd. Also coincided with the top. Not it wasn't a public stock, but I think it was the end of an era, kind of like an era of belief. Yep. Is, that, is that a good way? Yeah, to no, it? wake up call. That now looks what happened since a lot more people have been arrested. You know, yes. So. Agreed. Bill, Bill Wang. Importantly, oh, reckoning for due diligence. I mean, think of all the people, the sophisticated individuals who joined her board, the, the VC firms that gave her boatloads of money without any due diligence. And, and we're seeing that play out right now here. Somebody was saying, I forget who I was talking to. They were saying, WeWork should have been the top in 19. Howard. Uh, uh, Lindzen was, and he's basically saying, if you didn't have a pandemic start in January of 2020, WeWork would have been the top. But then all the stimulus and low rates That's that right. came prolonged the nonsense for another two years. That's a great uh, point. But like, like, who would have thought the Vision Fund from SoftBank at $100 billion to invest in fairy tales would have been the start of things 
but that's right. Like that should have been the end, but that actually turned out to be gentlemen, start your engines. It was the worst January for stocks since 2008. And here are some of the NASDAQ losers. Netflix down 28.5% the first month of the year. Amazon down 12%. Roku down 30. Alphabet down only six. Apple down only three. Microsoft down only seven. That masked a lot of the carnage that was already starting because those stocks are so big. And they just, they so didn't 40% get hit. of the, yes, they're 40%, right? Yeah. Of the, of the NASDAQ. Who put this in? LA Rams come back to beat the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> in the I Super Bowl. It. It's not Is even true. Well, that was the NFC Championship no, game. I, I don't put, know what I, that oh, is. I, I put in what? Who put that in? I oh. didn't. I saw it in there. Did Sean do that? I don't know. Yeah. And it was against the Bucks. They put the Rams. Right. That was in Bucks. February. That wasn't even okay. in January. And it was so February. Thing. All wrong right. Team, wrong month. I tried to help on the edits as much as I could. What are your thoughts from the January experience before we move forward? I think January, what I remember about January. Because don't we go, because he's on, don't we always go like, as January goes, so goes the rest of the year. Isn't that like a, a stock trader's almanac cliche, right? You guys have heard that before. So had you heeded that from what went on in January, actually, you, you, you turned out pretty okay this I'm year. jumping the gun a little bit, but I remember when the growth stocks started to really collapse. It was like, I guess, the early spring, I said, are we going to look back on this as like an opportunity or a time to get out? And now we have our answer. Yeah, but it was it was it was pretty vicious. It was, it was not an opportunity. Yeah, but thing, it's funny. You know, you you guys probably spent a lot of time talking about it. Again, you know, just like you said, masking. There were five stocks that made up twenty five percent of the weight of the S and P five hundred. They made up nearly forty five percent of the Nasdaq. But there were at that point in the Nasdaq, there were already dozens of stocks in the Nasdaq one hundred that had been cut in half prior year. Yeah. And so, I you know, everyone was holding on for dear life. And I think, guy, you make this point. All the time, it really was about market structure. It was about where assets continued to flow because people were still trying to be optimistic because they're looking and they're saying, hey, listen, the S&P is still intact here. Yeah, they didn't connect. They didn't, there were a thousand IPOs and SPACs in 2021. And by the end of 21 going into 22, most of those were already cut in half. But I think ARC was, was cut in half at the end of 21. We're gonna do we're gonna, like that. We're gonna, we're gonna year. we're gonna do arc. Let's not let's let let's not jump ahead. Uh, February, Russia invades Ukraine. So this was this is what was going on in, in February. Oil prices surged above hundred dollars per barrel. I thought you I thought you had Vlad Putin behind me. I couldn't. I, <laughs> uh, uh, Brent crude, the global benchmark, went up eight and a half percent to trade at one hundred five forty that day. Um, that had happened by five thirty a.m. Oil above $100 a barrel for the first time since 2014. Let's just break in there because, Guy, you know, we, we did a podcast and I think it was the first week of December, last week of November in 2021. We had Ian Bremer of Eurasia Group on, okay? He's a, like a very Not well- Not to brag, we had him also. Okay, uh, well, we had him first. <laughs> and um, We had him for longer. Well, uh, okay, but he gave us better stuff. And so, um, you know, Guy, you had this amazing exchange with him, okay? And- um, you were like, listen, this this Ukraine thing, this is happening, and no one wanted to believe that it was going to happen. You had him pre-invasion or pre. I mean, this was this was like he's like, I, listen, we call him Nostradami for a reason here. And then we also, and then you were talking about China and Taiwan. I mean, talk to us a little bit about that because, and you had been balls long oil, you know, like yeah, for well, that reason. We do it and fast money and you edit out Melissa balls asks us, long. You know, okay. I think that's a financial term. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. You know, what are the, what are your concerns of 2022? And I said, it's geopolitical. And, and nobody really believed that, but it turned out to be the case. And Russia wasn't amassing 100,000 troops on the Ukraine border to take 
fucking pictures, you know? I mean, yeah. they were clearly there for a reason. So but you couldn't you always say the big risk is geopolitics uh, and, and then, no, and then not, finally not, it not happens? Like it, not like it was setting up. And I thought China-Taiwan would happen a lot sooner than it potentially could happen. That was the second part of it. But it's clear to me that that was a huge potential risk. The fact that now we're sitting here in December and crude oil is lower than when we, before they went in is fascinating. But it's probably we'll save it for this, you know, when we get to December of this year. Josh, think about this. In all of 21, inflation was transitory, right? Transitory, right? So right. towards the end of 21, when the Russian invasion happened and people realized there was immediate impact that exacerbated it, that was the kind of nail in the coffin, so to speak, as far as I thought what the market Wait, for Wait, what was the nail in the coffin? Oil prices zooming up and all these other things. That's the supply you, chain, yeah, yeah. things that were going to start to kind of abate. They're like, what do you mean the food supply is so? What do you mean do you that think, much wheat so comes let's, out of So let's run that yeah. back. Absent the Russian invasion of Ukraine, would Powell have looked more prescient and would inflation have been transitory? No. I mean, no. I still think it was already because they Because or, they already were late to raise weights to make it transitory. Correct. I, I disagree with that. I mean, like, I, I think that, it, you know, we, we've spent so much time in the financial press talking about the semantics of the word transitory. It's clear when we look back five years from now, that inflation spike was transitory. But wages are sticky and that had nothing to are do. Are they until we get back to automation? Remember, like, pre-pandemic, we were worried about, like, automation taking all the jobs, the robots, and universal basic But I'm saying we're still dealing with wage, rising wage inflation right now. Right now. Still right, right now. That's the last piece of it. No, I, listen, I think inflation's peaked. We'll get to that later. I, I think know, but we, 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 this, we've gone over this, and, and you guys probably talk about it too. I mean, the Fed did something in 2020, but they kept on doing it in 2021, and that's the thing that caused this weird spike. We had zero COVID in China. We had disrupted supply chains. We had deglobalization factors, and then we had a shooting war in Europe. And so all of those things, you, you just said it yourself. Like, if you're waiting for geopolitical to invest, you, you might be waiting a long time. It just all happened to happen at this, this moment. The and timing of the invasion could not have been worse for where the Fed was, which was already late. Yeah. And it made everything worse. But I still think we would have had an inflation battle this year because of wages and rents. Because and I don't of $4 think trillion dollars in stimulus, yeah. though, yeah. to keep our economy afloat, keep households afloat, keep businesses from you know credit issues like we had during the financial crisis. I mean, they did their job. Spotify crashed at hard pivot in uh, February from 234 to 150. It was a $46 billion market cap in January. It's about 15 billion today, probably lower. Uh, yeah, um, one of the biggest media company crashes of the year, but the specific trigger was they did a $100 million deal to bring Joe Rogan on. Joe Rogan had, shall we say, alternate opinions about vaccines and uh, the musicians started to boycott the, the platform. I don't think that's why Spotify is worth 15 billion today. I think it was coming down anyway. But you guys are mu you guys were are music guys. What what are your thoughts about how that whole thing went down? If you don't follow me on Spotify, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. I have an 845 song playlist, and I just what do they send you? What do they all, send all you? Stones? What do they send you at the end of the year? Oh, Rats. So I'm in the top one half of one percent of all Led Zeppelin listeners in the now, world. Now you know where the stock's gotten killed. Just right saying. So you can play stock market all you want. I'm just saying, follow me on Spotify. Uh Joni Mitchell took her music off Spotify. Did anyone notice? <laughs> well, you know, people notice Neil Young, and, and Danny, I'll let you jump in here too. I mean, like, listen, I, I said at the time on one of my podcasts that you, I'm not sure if you said the same thing. I mean, J 
Spotify had a Joe Rogan problem because he's the, he was the face of this publicly traded company. Like Daniel Eck was the CEO, but no one knows him and no one knows what his messaging is and the direction for the company. So he allowed his entire company's brand to be co-opted by a guy where probably half of their users don't agree with what he's got to say about a right. lot of things. Right. I guess that's the danger of doing huge deals like that. And then that person becomes, whether you like it or not, the face of, of the business. Yes, Howard Stern was serious. Uh, Starbucks announced a new price hike after a price hike in October of 21. And uh, Starbucks, believe it or not, is one of the best performing stocks in the S&P this year. They seem to have had no problem putting through price hikes. Hasn't really affected them at all. In fact, sales are going up for the most part. Are you surprised the degree to which most U.S. companies were able to get away with uh, price hikes? I can't think of anyone Chipotle who Chipotle too. Some yeah. have pricing power and some Netflix. don't. Those are the winners. But I'll say this. Keep, keep in mind, we were in lockdown basically, right, for end of 20, a lot of 21. And so the comps start to look very easy in 22 versus 21, especially so right. Starbucks where people are actually going back to work and going to get the Starbucks. And they raised prices and people wanted it, and, and that's fine. But now going into 23, you're going to face those comps off of 22, 21. And that's another reason, I think, not to jump ahead, why 23 will be difficult. But listen – you have a good product, you have pricing power, and you can and you, you can pass that on. You're in, you're in good shape. And I think the price of coffee actually hasn't gone up as much as they've probably raised their prices, to be honest with you. Sorry. So they'll, they'll, they'll get that benefit. What, what do you think about this idea that prices will, costs, costs will come down for corporations, but prices won't, and that's what saves earnings in 23? That spread. So everyone, so they all raised prices because they had to, because labor was expensive, because lumber, like anything you want to input, all of those prices ease off, but companies don't then roll back the price increases, and that's the thing that saves earnings for the S&P 500 in 23, if well, that's possible. If wage growth doesn't keep up, they're going to get hit. I mean, the revenues will drop because they can try to charge more, but be, there's just less wallet from the consumer, I think, right now, and there will be in going into 2023. There'll be examples where companies can do that, but I, I don't, I don't think that'll be, you don't think it'll be widespread enough to, not at all. to help. Okay. Um, not in a commoditized business. Maybe if, you know, not in someone that's competing. So. All right. Why don't you take, why don't you take, Mar why don't you take March? Uh, so March was what happened in March. We St. got, Patrick's Day. we got the biggest inflation jump month over month. It was the first time we hit 1% month over month. Uh, where, the, it was the first rate hike. Uh, the Fed raised rates uh, 25 basis points, which in hindsight, maybe they should have gotten, gotten after it a little bit faster. This is a good chart. March is when shit really started to blob. We had more 52-week lows in March than we had in 30 years. And I wonder if this is a sort of a data crime in here. If, I wonder if this is being measured funny because how are there more, high, more new lows here than there were in 2008? It's the number of stocks. It's not a percentage. That's how. More, more, more stocks? Mm. I don't know. All right, nobody look at that. But, but, but let, let's just talk about that rate hike. So, so it was mid-March. Um, it was the first rate hike they had done since 2018. It was 25 basis points. And you put that in some sort of context, they really eased into this thing. All of us can go back and remember, you know, post 9-11. They were still just, saying transitory in March? No. They, they had, I mean, they, they had... No, I mean, that's why they were raising rates. They basically were kind of, you know. But their dot plot, that was the, one of the first dot plots, and they were still low to Josh. Yeah, point yeah but so. I mean, they yeah. started, so, but but at, at that point, I mean, Fed funds was was expected to be above 3%. Right. It was at zero, okay? So well, there was a huge rally in, in the end of March. You remember that in, in, the, in the stock market? And yes. And people thought, okay, they finally did it. 
And, you know, we were kind of saying, you know, the last time when they were raising rates in 2018, what happened, guy? The market went down 19.9% from Halloween of 18 <laughs> until Christmas Eve. And then, then Jerome Powell, who was newly into the job, got scared by current President Trump back then, who browbeat him into submission, and he got scared by the market that went down. So I love Jerome Powell up until the point that he flinched, and I happen to now like him again until he flinches again, and then you'll hear me talk about him. But that's exactly what happened back in 18. A firm pulled its ABS deal from the market, and that looked like it was the beginning of the end for the buy now, pay later uh, stocks. So... You can't reinvent lending. I talk about this on the podcast. So there's a group of these buy now, pay later. I call it short now, cover later. And so they, you can't re. So 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 if you grow your lending book faster than I like GDP, uh, buy now, pay never. That's yeah, buy now, one. pay never. Yeah. Whatever they thought they had read it. Mac, Max Lefkin, who obviously was at PayPal, who's obviously a smart guy, thought that you could bring tech into lending. We saw how that worked peer to peer lending club years ago. You just can't do that. And what happens is. In order to get, in order, when you originate these loans, you got to sell them to somebody because these companies are not set up basically to keep these loans on their book. Well, once these loans start to deteriorate and underperform, and you have delinquencies and charge-offs, your investor, in, you know, investors in these pools will pay less. And so, if your cost to originate is X and you can't sell them at a profit, now what do you do? You hold them. So, was it, when this ABS deal kind of got pulled, it was the first indication that there wasn't enough appetite. Therefore, their platform, right, would kind of come to a standstill. So throw in Upstart, which is not buy now, pay later, but it is a, quote, lending platform. Yeah. When you see, like, in, in, in the financial crisis in 2006, when Wall Street started to pull the credit lines from the large subprime companies, what happened was these subprime companies were forced to balance sheet these loans themselves. Well, none of these companies are set up for that. So that's what's happened. These stocks are on their way to zero. I mean, there's, these things are down 90%, I think. And so- One of them got, one yeah. of them got acquired. Uh, Square bought one. Which one did they buy? That was twenty one. That was right? twenty one. After pay, the but, but they, they agreed that before. That's gonna. That's hurt Square. That's why Square stock is where it is. It's a big problem. It right? was all stock. Yeah. It was a twenty nine billion dollar all stock deal. Square was trading at all time highs, and you know we we actually were talking about this right after that. Do you remember that Amazon did a deal with a firm? And people were like, well, if there's a frenzy for these assets, why wouldn't Amazon buy it? And I think Danny said something like, why buy the cow when you get you know, the milk? This is this is like the one of the big things on Wall Street, like one of the, one of the tricks that they pull. You have technology analysts covering specialty finance companies, right? You have they don't these technology analysts are told by their bankers, you're covering this. Why? Well, we need a 10x multiple revenue on this. Okay. And these analysts don't understand how the financial system works. So they're focused on like user growth, not credit. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So yeah. that happens a lot. Another that happened to Carvana that, too. Another thing that happened in March was that's when yields really started to skyrocket. The two-year went from one three to two five in like 30 days. Yep. And growth stocks fell apart. Yep. Um, Bed Bath & Beyond surged 70% in March when Ryan Cohen took a stake. And we know how that ended. Yeah. But it was kind of a moment where it was like, oh, like we're, shit again? oh, we're still doing this? Like, we're still doing memes? I had thought that was dead and buried, but it came back kind of with a vengeance this year uh, with AMC eventually also. Um, do you think we're done now? Am I? Is this? This is you. Anyway. Oh, anyway. I love, yeah. No, we're almost there, but. I'll say to Ryan Cohen, who had pet food delivery, worked out great, and now everybody thought he was God's gift to the corporate world, comes into Bed Bath & Beyond, takes a stake, says he wants to be on the board, and then sells his entire stake. He's one of the only people to make money this year in the stock. But then on GameStop, I mean, to come in, he owned 12 13% of the company. He buys an additional 100,000 shares at $100 a share, so it's now split four for one, so let's call that today's 25, which is now the stock's at 20. 
and says what? What is he going to? NFTs. He had a partnership with FTX. I mean, think about this for a second. So he kept the stock up. Is that who? They yeah, partnered they, with FTX to do NFTs? Yes, of course. God, if, if I so, knew well, then what I what seven I billion, now. Still a $6 billion company. So are we there? We're in the eighth inning of this crap. But Stock's three bucks. Which one? What, Bad, Bad Bath & Beyond. No, GameStop yeah. I'm talking about. Oh, Sorry, GameStop, that one yeah. has $20 more downside. Where is it? 20. Yeah, Bed, okay. Bath, <laughs> Bed Bath & Beyond did not do an FTX deal, I don't think. No, no, GameStop I was talking <laughs> right, about. All right, GameStop, all right. Exactly, so. Uh, Elon Musk started to openly criticize Twitter, uh, the platform, in March, presaging what I think is probably one of the biggest stories that will be when this decade ends. This is going to be like a top 10. All right, can we throw this back to you? Because one of the things, it's funny, a lot of you guys in this audience right here are listening on the pod. You guys know downtown Josh Brown because he was at downtown Josh Brown on Twitter. He was a force and he was funny, he's witty, and he probably every once in a while had a decent stock pick. Um, but, probably. Uh, but you left Twitter. Before it was cool. To leave Twitter or, or to get canceled off of it. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. I mean, like, like oh, what's going on now? But talk to us about that. I mean, because a lot of his criticisms you probably had, you left the platform. Oh, no. I, so I don't think that he and I shared the same criticism. He, so this is, this is his tweet. Do we have this? We have this? Uh, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free spe speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done? I actually don't think that there needs to be a global town square. I don't think it's necessary or healthy for 300 million people to be yelling at each other from all over the globe. I'm not in the camp that thinks that's a good, fundamentally a useful thing for anyone. I don't really see what it solves. All I can think about is what it causes. So my criticism is, it's not a criticism, it is what it is, but I don't think that when you get past a certain number of followers, you can enjoy your experience there. And the other thing, and a lot of people that I admire, I wish they would stop tweeting. I can't believe they still tweet at their follower level because these are two things that maybe their parents didn't teach them. The first is absence makes the heart grow fonder. So if you're in people's face all day long, they like at a certain point, they're gonna turn. It's just a matter of when. The other thing is familiarity breeds contempt. I guess that's another way of saying the same thing. So that's why the Kardashians stopped tweeting. That's what, like, there's, there reaches a point where people don't want to hear or see you all day long. You have to know when you've reached that point. I probably, it was, I probably left four years later than I should have. Yeah, I call that my home life. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you can, you can relate. I can relate. You can relate. When are you uh, coming back? Yeah, exactly. Never. Why? Oh, Come back now? It's on fire. <laughs> it's, literally, it's literally burning to the ground. Uh, do you, why, are you still tweeting? Like, are you tweeting? I wouldn't know. Uh, I, you I, don't, you don't I tweet, tweet do you? I, no, I tweet our content um, because I, a lot of our audience is there. But I don't interact with people anymore. I stopped doing that a long time ago. Do you look at your, men do you look at your mentions? No. I had a tweet today. It was Elon Musk's location. Uh, trading floor in, <laughs> trading floor in Philadelphia, Duke and Duke style uh, margin call. That's what I was trying to. Get, I'm trying to get booted at this point. So. I'm very lucky though. Yeah, I have Nicole to send tweets for us. So uh, round of applause for Nicole, by the way. How, how many people are on Twitter here? I'm just curious. Okay. Well, Let the record show. No one's left on Twitter. How many on. people are on Mastodon with me? Smaller. One. Smaller number. One. Got one. Yo. Who is that? I'll follow you back. 
<laughs> uh, let's let's keep it moving. We're gonna do April. So Elon files a 13G. He buys 73 million shares of Twitter, which is three billion dollars at at the time. This might be the worst purchase of all time. Well, hold on. He actually bought it in January and when he, the stock was below. He told 30. us about it in April. No, but think about this. So so it's funny. I did options action the day that Twitter went public. For some reason, they went public on the New York Stock Exchange. Sorry, guys. And um, we did the show from down there, okay? It went public at $27 in November of 2013. And Elon Musk is buying the stock in the February of 2022 yeah. at $27. What a piece of crap. And, and you know, it's funny, like he's running this company into the ground. Um, Jack Dorsey was running this, the company in the ground for years we and have years. This, so we have this chart of uh, Twitter from the IPO. And it's and it's uh it's just a horrible chart, horrible chart. So, so this basically round trips to the IPO price, and then he bought the stock. When it comes out that he finally filed, first of all, he filed the 13G, which is what you do when you're passively acquiring more than five percent of a stock. Turns out he wasn't very passive. So, but that that we'll leave that there. Uh, the stock the stock rallies thirty percent immediately. So Snap's chart or price, whatever market cap, is down ninety percent. Like literally nine zero. What is Twitter down if Elon never gets involved, or or I if it's publicly I say traded? It's Twelve dollars. Yeah, I, I mean Snap has. Why a, would it not be down? Snap 90? has a fourteen billion dollar enterprise value. It has a similar revenue base, probably growing faster. They monetize better. I'm talking about what you say, Josh. People actually get joy out of Snap. You yeah. know what I mean? And and Twitter is important to people in news, in sports, in politics, and and you know, misery. And, 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 and misery. <laughs> and, and misery. Yeah, Accu the, accusing people of crimes. This stock right now would be trading at all time lows. Basically, absolutely. Yeah. I would say eleven. No I would get my guess would be eleven or twelve. Yeah. Um, Guy? No, I mean, a lot of analysts had that said $15 price target. I remember a lot of people putting on it. And you're probably right. That's where it'd be. But the reality is that's what happened. I mean, personally, for me, Twitter is my source of news. And that's how I get headlines and stuff. And it's in, in my world when I started, this is the new tape effectively for me. Oh, he got caught, right? He didn't 5420, just like 420 funding yeah. security. LOL, he LOL, got LOL. Yeah. They got forced they into it. They accepted his yeah. offer on April 25th. Well, he got, he got forced into it yeah. because the judge, they had all this discovery with all his emails and all. He didn't want that. So he'd rather go spend all that money. And now and Tesla's now down. Tesla burns 700 billion in market cap or something like that. Not Bill, Bill Wang, uh, Wang. Yeah from Archegos is arrested in April. Notice I, the only reason that's newsworthy is it just kind of came and went because guess why? Because there's seven, six or seven broker dealers don't want that to, they want that to go away. Think about how embarrassing that is for them. They all lost. Well, that was yeah. a 2021 story. No, I mean, the, the arrest. There was the, I know, but the, the, the Bill Wang, I mean, the, the uh, we don't, we don't have to, we don't, we don't have to spend time on it, okay. but the story there is he is avoiding filing for uh, as a large holder of these stocks because he's using swaps to get exposure well, and his relationship to arc asset that was the other thing and the, and the swaps are pushing up stocks and he was a, was he a seed investor in arc yep so he was kathy's earliest backer correct and they had some stocks in common yep which probably helped her portfolio as he drove them higher yep. we allowed to say is that we allowed to say that sure Just okay we, we, i think <laughs> i think we're saying that Fidelity announced they were going to allow retirement savers to put Bitcoin in 401k accounts. This is one where they could have like just very quietly said, said 
LOL, just kidding. They This month, they actually followed through, and it's I, open. I opened one. And think about this. I don't have – I was never really big into crypto, but given what's going on with FTX, probably what's going to go on with Binance and what might go down with Coinbase, why would why would you ever even consider that? Now, these are not FTIC. Didn't I, didn't I say that? Say what? Oh, wait. We might be saying something different. No, you were talking about Bitcoin. No, what, what – He's talking what, about Fidelity. I, I opened a Bitcoin crypto – or a Fidelity – uh, crypto account this month. Okay. So they announced it that they were going to do it. Okay. Yeah, oh, so this is what I'm saying. Shouldn't they have a hundred percent market share? Well, they will. They, I mean, just think okay, about it. So yes. we're, we agree. Yes. We're in agreement. If you're into crypto and you're a sane person, you will have it on fidelity. Yes. That's what, uh, that would be my guess. Yeah. So maybe it's not as crazy as it seems on the surface. I think it's kind of cool that they're doing this in an 80% drawdown. And allowing, like, how many times on Wall Street historically have you seen a brokerage firm open up the gates to do something with an asset class that's been more than cut in half? Almost never happens. It's it's usually the reverse. Yeah, yeah. and they're starting. You can buy ETH and you can buy Bitcoin, and they're really leading with that. I'm, listen, I'm not shilling for them. I'm a customer, and and I I use it. And, and my my, if anybody came to me, I used to say five years ago, they'd say, "What do you know about Bitcoin? I want to buy some Bitcoin or ETH." I'd say, "You know what? Go open up a talk Coinbase. To, talk to Beakers." No, what, what I'd say is, I'd say, "Go." Well, first of all, he's been bearish all year long, and he's been on our podcast. This is BK Brian Kelly, and he's done a great job with it. Um, to be very frank, I'd say, "Go open, go to the App Store, download the Coinbase, read some of the." stuff, put a little fiat in there, see what the experience is, and buy a little, and then start looking at it. And that's the only way you're going to get comfortable with it. I would tell no one to do that right now in any of those accounts. I would say, if you're really into it, though, do it on Fidelity. Yeah, I I, I think, God forbid, it goes to 25000 or something. Um, they're going to look very, they're going to look very uh, gutsy and right for doing that. I can't believe they went through with it. Guy, you're a big blockchain guy, I assume? Yeah, I love the blockchain. <laughs> I've been using it since I started at Drexel in 1986. I find it to be, I mean, this shit is so like, I, I should have been born in like 1918. Maybe I actually was, I don't realize because this world is not for me. But I will say quickly about Bitcoin. My sense it was born out of a concern of central banks run amok. Fiat currencies are just a disaster. And it, if you think about, I don't think it's coincidence, TRB, that Bitcoin topped out in November, effectively, of last year. Oh, definitely not a coincidence. Around the same time the Fed pivoted. So if you think our central bank, our Fed, is going to flinch or blink, to me, that's going to be the next green light for Bitcoin. Right, that's what, just my but view. But what's different this time, and you could have said that in that, that, that retail frenzy, the ICO frenzy in 2017, because Bitcoin went from 20,000 to what, 3,000 3, or so at the lows in 2019, 20. The difference now is confidence, right? There is very little confidence in the, all these institutional players that supposedly, you know, they'd come on shows and they, they look like brilliant people and they're like telling you how the new financial world's going to be. Right. And, and they screwed you. You know what I mean? They absolutely every step of the way. And so, I, you know, to me, um, I, I'm not sure it comes back as quickly when the Fed pivots. And well, they the start biggest cutting. difference between this crash and all others is there's like normal people involved this time around. Yeah. In all of the other crashes, there was it was only Bitcoin bros. There was no like normal people or normies in there. And they're, so everybody and who got burned, coming back everybody time. who just got burned for the first time and is down 80 percent is not coming back. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Do you think uh, Bitcoin and crypto in general attracts scammy people or does it turn the people who get involved with it scammy because those are, seem to have been the most successful companies so far? 
Is that a human nature? Like, I think it's a, if you think about crypto kind of as a, now I guess it's an $800 billion industry. It was $3 trillion. I don't and know where we and are. shrinking. Yeah. And shrinking. Think of it kind of the dot com. You had real companies that came to light. Then you had pets.com. And you have all the charlatans that come after to try to take advantage of, the, of all these investors. And so I think that's where we are. I'm actually shocked that Bitcoin is still where it is. That actually probably means it's, it's going to stay at this level and maybe potentially move higher in Ethereum. It was all the other stuff. And I'll give, I rip on the SEC all the time. I'll give Ginsler credit. If he hadn't stopped BlockFi when he did in February, which is, I don't think we put in highlights from 2022, but if we had stopped, if he had not stopped this he lending stopped product, all the lending, the lending product, I give him credit. It would have been, this would have been a lot worse. They told, I, they told Gemini, no lending. Like they, they made yeah. it clear to Coinbase, we, yeah. no lend. I have no sympathy for investors that invested in these companies, like, you know, the FTX of the world. I have a ton of sympathy for customers who lost their money they thought was safe on deposit in crypto. So here was the thing also, you could talk about what, like, what were the tells of this thing. When Jack Dorsey, who is the CEO of two very large publicly traded companies, puts his Twitter account, it's just the Bitcoin cash tag in his Twitter bio, the, the religious nature of these Bitcoin maximalists is really scary. Think about that. In the stock market, anytime you've seen any behavior like that, you know, it, it just really, so the Bitcoin thing never made I was a lot of sense. I was off Twitter for the laser eyes thing, yeah, yeah. which I think was the summer of 21. And I had to ask Batnick, I'm like, what, what is this shit? <laughs> Like what, what, like I mean, what? Dan, you had, a, you, for a day or two, you had a Did monkey you? of no, some you kind. He had something, NFT. What'd you have up there for a day? And I gave you, I'm there for a day. And I did it as a joke. I, I, listen, no, I, no, I'm kidding. But here's but, the thing. But, but here's uh, the thing. That was a joke. I, I, no, no, no. Hold, hold, hold on a second. How many girls did you get <laughs> that um, day? Uh, um, <laughs> it's funny. So I'm, I'm curious. I came into the markets in the late nineties. I worked at a hedge fund and we traded stocks all day. And, and the guy who ran it, Steve Cohen, okay. The owner of your Mets, um, you know, they looked around the desk and they looked for guys who like, looked like they just got out of college. And they said, there's this AMZN, YHOO, AOL. We don't know what the hell they do. Figure it out. Cause they're moving around like crazy yeah, they go and, we, and we want to trade them. And, and they were going up. So for me, I'm always curious about these sorts of manias and that sort of thing. So I started doing a little crypto. Then I had some games. Oh, you don't have to apologize. It's fine. Yeah, no, we, no. We, we all did a little but crypto. But what I'm saying, but, but, but then I bought some NFTs. You know, yeah. it was like, it was like, like. You're a dick butt guy. Yeah, I was a, I bought a crypto dick butt. Okay. <laughs> but I sold it. I made money on it. Mike uh, was an NBA Top Shots guy. Duncan's Michael soon. loves, oh, you were loved <laughs> NBA <laughs> Top Shots. Yeah. Too soon. How's that working out uh, No, great. It's great. All right, let's move on. All right, we're going to do. Uh, one of the biggest, ahead, theme, one of the biggest themes of the year has been, we didn't talk about this, but this, this started really in the beginning of the year. And the first three, four months of the year, value started to outperform growth bigly. And if value stocks had not held up and performed the way they did, and these are the Dow stocks that nobody, who, who here, show of hands, who trades United Health? Two losers. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, oh, sorry. Even worse. Uh, those stocks have done amazingly well, and had they gone south as well, like what would the market be doing? It's no dick butt, but it's, it's pretty good. UNH, pretty good. So this year, the this, this is old, but I think it's probably it's, well, it's definitely still directionally right. The value has outperformed growth by I think twenty percent or so year to date. Biggest spread since uh, the dot-com bust. Does this have legs? Could this go yeah, on for I, multiple well, years? It makes sense, though, if you think about it. I mean, Jerome Powell did an interview where they asked him about valuations, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, in a zero-interest rate environment, valuations don't matter. And, you know, quite frankly, he was right. So the fact now, again, interest rates started going higher, it made sense that people were fleeing names that made 
no sense in a higher interest rate environment and finding names that made sense. I will tell you, you know, we can laugh about UNH. It's probably one of the best company, best run companies in the United States. I think it's the largest component of the Dow, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of market cap. And it's a company that you can get your arms around in terms of valuation still. So these companies were left to the side for years. Yeah. And now people figured out, wait a second, there actually is value here. So to your answer your question, yeah, I do think it has legs. United right. Health's up six uh, percent on the year. Everything else, which this, is this like will, that's like being up fifty percent. This will know. absolutely continue. And value, you know, in the words of Morgan Freeman and Shushing, is just a word. I mean, right. it really these are great companies. I call them GARP. You know, it's value. Wait, was Why that Morgan Freeman voice? What's that? That's pretty good. That's not full. That was pretty good. I would say, I would say, definitely don't do it. He'll do it at the bar. Now you have to do it. it. Anyway, <laughs> value is going to continue. It's just finding bottom up, doing bottom up work. All that is multiple It'll of revenue. Why? Now multiple. Of Why? Because inflation and interest rates. No, because these are real. Because most of the time, these type of companies have real businesses, real assets, real growth. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I don't know the answer to this, but I, I, I've always been curious, and I don't think anyone definitively could say. Is it really value versus growth or is it energy versus tech? Like, is it an industry question? Like, which industries are in better shape right now and in favor? Underweighted. Which ones are underweighted, to your point? You consider but to I'm be saying like, if Cliff Assis was here, he'd cut your head off. I know. When value outperforms growth, a lot of times it's because, like, for example, what are value stocks in January of this past year? It's banks who benefit from higher rates. It's energy companies who benefit from... Because there's a book value to the financials, there's an asset value to the energy, there is, a, there is actually right. something tangible. Right. These growth companies, and you can have good growth companies, but most of them, what are you valuing them on? Brand, the multiple revenue games. TAM. Oh, right, exactly. Right. That's kind of over. My buddy Eric Ribnerson back there, we traded at Oppenheimer together, watched JDS Uniphase, watched all these companies get created, live through that cycle, and you see what happens. When growth goes, it goes, and that's why there's still so much room for the, to the downside on many names that are out there. I don't look at where companies, how much they're down. I look at bottom up of what they're actually worth. And that's what these stocks do. When they trade down like this, they make you take a closer look. And they so, can turn into value, but a lot of them don't. Even if you have a, a, a not-so-great outlook for 23, people still have to invest somewhere. And I could envision value having legs into, into next year. I mean, anything can happen, but I just it's hard for me to see a shift this pronounced just fizzle Look, out I'll, because the Fed pivots. This is a good example. We were on the podcast a couple months ago when Meta, Facebook, whatever it's called, broke, right? And all of a sudden yeah. it kind of found it. it moved. It took several years to move from a growth stock to a value stock. And look where that stock trades on a multiple of earnings. It's Nine. Not, it's not that expensive. So my point is that it can make the transition. That's a tough burn through the atmosphere moment. But, but, yeah. but people won't buy Meta because it's a value stock. They'll buy it because they think it can go back to hyper growth. I mean, that, that, so I'm actually, so Michael, you started this, this part of the conversation about the outperformance of value of late. That's the story of the rally since mid-October, right? You've seen this rotation. Look at the S&P. Can you guys remember the last time the S&P, um, you know, outperformed the NASDAQ in, in, in a bull run? Yes. So you've yes. seen the move into energy. Energy stocks have showed really good relative strength, despite the fact that crude is round trip. It's entire one-year move, and I think that's become a really crowded trade. The way I like to think about it is this. If that energy is less than 5% of S&P 
weight. That means that it's been a disproportionate amount of its earnings growth this year, and we're going to have supposedly up, like what, low single digits earnings this year. If it falls off next year, and it's likely to do that where the commodity is, especially if we see, you know, maybe like easing geopolitical tensions, then you don't want to be in energy stocks next year because it's really crowded and it's not going to be a place, in my opinion, these guys feel a little differently, to make money. And then the question is, what leads us out of this bear market, right? I am of the belief it's not going to be a sham company like Tesla, but Apple, Amazon, um, you, you know, Microsoft. You think they'll come back Google, to- yes, they will. And, and I think they will be the leaders. And people will tell you, if you look at history, the prior leaders of the prior cycle have never left. We've never had companies this dominant. Like it just, you think of the monopolies they have, the moats, uh, the balance sheets, the management. I was talking with Josh about this. Apple Pay went from nothing to it's good, so the annual run rate is estimated to be $4 billion. What's going to be in two or three years? $10, 15000000000 billion? One of the things that I think is dangerous for investors, and I said earlier, we were talking about last year, uh, earlier this year, like when growth stocks started coming down, Shopify, Spotify is an opportunity. I got my time mixed up. This was 21 we were having this conversation. So I think one of the dangerous things is when people are anchoring to, to the highs. Oh my God, this stock is down 80% from the highs. It must be a good buy. The numbers that we're anchoring to were fake numbers. The numbers in 2021 were ludicrous. Steroid, steroids. Ludicrous. Steroid era. So to Danny's point about doing bottoms up, you have to think like, what is this company going to sustainably earn, not how much is the uh, stock down? So, so stagflation became uh, the big story of the month. Just to finish out May, we have a chart here. Stagflation expectations. Hit, I think this is a Savita chart from uh, Merrill. Uh, hit the highest level since August of 2008. The question that was asked of global portfolio managers, which of the following do you think best describes the global economy over the next 12 months? Uh, below trend growth and above trend inflation um, seem to have really uh, hit a high level at that point. And so far, that's been the right call, right? What we well, doing? I mean, I'll tell you, summer of 21, Dan, Danny Moses was one of the few people who were saying we are about to enter a stagflationary environment. I mean, I can say that with 100% certainty, and he's right. And that's one environment that the Fed, with all their tools, has no tools to combat, Josh. I think, though, that that is one environment that really can't last for, for long because it carries within itself the seeds of its own destruction. If you have below-trend growth, at a certain point, demand will fall, which will ease prices, which is how you get out of it. I don't think the Fed has a tool. I think enough time passes, and it, you can't have stagflation for the, for the length of time that you could have, for example, an economic recovery. It's just it's just fundamentally impossible. We're already seeing in the data the consumer is rolling over hard, um, and the longer end of the curve keeps yeah. falling. Yeah, so so we know that that can't persist for much longer. Uh, I agree. I think we're in. The, I would say we're in the sixth or seventh inning of that, and they just gave you the Fed dot plot. Just told you they lowered GDP raised unemployment and said higher rates. That is stagflation in the dictionary. So, but I think they're, you know, overshooting here for sure. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. 
iConnections membership-only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Let's go to June. The bear market for the S&P 500 became official. Uh, in June, Duncan po- post this. Oh, you got it? Um, is there a picture of me running around naked? On yes, okay. you were celebrating. Okay. The, no, this okay. is where shit got real. I think it, it's it's safe to say. What was uh, happening in June when the news when the two-year was going crazy? I don't remember this. I'll put up this two-year well, yield chart. I mean, bond volatility, Josh. Right. I mean, we were talking about bond volatility all through 2021. And, you know, the bullshit line about stable prices. I mean, you think about... U.S. Think about government. This should be the most liquid asset in the history of mankind, and they were trading like a hundred million dollar. They were trading like they were, they, were, they were right. They were trading like pen, the two year was trading like a penny stock, which is ridiculous if you think about it. Yeah. So forget about the whole points, stable price thing. And we talked and we said it a number of times. At a certain point, bond volatility would make its way into the equity world, and that's and Michael, that's what happened. So the two year went from two eight to three three that in was, two days. Yeah, but that was the no one believed the Fed was going to go seventy five bips. I that's when they did it. All right, and, they, and you know what happened in biggest, June? This is the biggest uh, one day rise since Today. June of '09. Right, and and then and the market ripped for two months. I mean, like it ripped. It was eighteen percent the S and P five hundred, and that you was could the, have made the argument that June was the bottom for stocks in July. When when we were going oh, up wait a every minute. day, something happened over the summer that had never happened before. They were saying there was never been a bear market rally that retraced fifty percent of the decline, and then made new lows. Wait, we had it happened two negative quarters of GDP, right? Yep. And then people were like, okay, well that was the worst. That was going to be it. And I for one did not believe the Fed was going to go. Like I had a bet with Dan at the end of the year that I lost a lot of money. Something on, so. else happened quickly, <laughs> and I, we, we got to go the next month, I'm sure. But something else happened in June. The VIX went for the first time to about 34 and a half. You hadn't seen that in quite some time. Yeah. And there were two days in a row where we saw ridiculous interday swings. I mean, market up 600, uh-huh. down 400. And we talked about it. We said, this has the telltale signs of a short-term capitulation. That's what happened. By the way, the same thing happened, and I'm jumping now, in October. And we'll get to that. Uh, That's the most memorable day of the year for me. That October down thousand and we closed positive day. That yeah, that was what. We're, all right, we're gonna get there. Let's do July. July first, it became official. The first half of 2022 was the worst first half of a year for Treasury bonds since 1788. And Guy will tell you. <laughs> It was uh, crazy year, 88. <laughs> I mean, really, on the heels of 87? I mean, look, look, look at this shit. Like, this is, I, t- I often tell, we tell clients, like, you are living through history, and every year things that have never happened before will happen. And this is one of those things because when you're a financial advisor, a lot of what you're doing is trying to offset stock market volatility with relative stability of, of bonds. It was also the and worst. it was possible to do this The year. worst six-month start to a year for the NASDAQ. Ever put this up like even worse than the dot com. You guys bust. see the red? Can you guys see the red line at the bottom? That is. We just did that. That was that was fun. 
that that was not a lot of fun. Um, equity allocation levels. This is back to Savita. Uh, shout out to Savita. These are historic lows for global portfolio managers, which is why you get that capitulation. So this is uh, July of 22. This is the net percentage of portfolio managers taking higher than normal uh, risk levels. And it's effectively minus 70. It's the lowest since October 08. And then this is equity allocation versus cash, also the lowest. So we're, we're comping things to the, the, the Lehman summer of 08 mm -hmm. to, to give people some perspective um, on how negative sentiment was. So in hindsight, looking at that, the rally in July makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Even even if it if it wasn't destined to last. Uh, Can I just – there's yeah, one please. other thing that happened in July and early August. Q2 earnings, which started in earnest, let's say, in the, this, the third week of July. They weren't as bad as people the expected. The stocks crashed. Yeah, and this is a really point. I think we're going we're gonna to have to spend some time on, on S&P earnings expectations and, and where they – you know, finish this year and what they are for next year, because I, I think it was, there were no big alarm bells going off by some of the major names and they were kind of, it was, you know, eking out little by little, some of the bad news. Right. And, and so those, those fire trucks are coming for Twitter. Dan Q2 was the quarter where Roku is down 70% going into earnings and it falls 25%. After earn, after hours, all the growth stocks did that. Yeah, the growth stocks did, but if you were waiting for some of the mega cap names to confirm what had already gone on in unprofitable growth stocks, you didn't get it in Q2. Yeah, earnings. they were like they were like yeah. kind of okay. Yeah, uh, recession became the consensus view in July. I still think that'll turn out to have been the right call. Wait, uh, show of hands, recession next year? Next or how about recession now? Now, now next year? Now next year? Don't Wait, be shy. Hold on, hold on. No recession next year. Let me see that. Okay. Why? Like, give me like, give me the one sentence version. Employment holds up. Well, can we, can we get a recession without unemployment going to four or 5%? No. Then what makes it a recession? It's not two quarters of GDP. So can you GDP have, growth. can you have negative GDP growth? Can you have negative earnings with employment still holding in there? How? Can it? Don't, we're seeing it. This I mean, is, but, this but is earnings, it now? But earnings, you're living, and well, da the data hasn't rolled over no, yet. the earnings, you're right. The earnings We're, haven't yet, but that's a matter of time. And, and the, the I thought for a long time, and quickly we'll talk about this, but the Fed was never going to target the S&P. I think the S&P put is probably 2,800 for the Fed. That's when the alarm bells oof. go off. I thought it was going to be the credit markets, but what they're targeting is unemployment. And they absolutely want unemployment to get to 5%, and they're not close. But and the mechanism they use well, to get there is the stock market it, and the housing market. It's exactly right. Uh, Citigroup, U.S. Uh, equity research put this out. This is the downgrades of stocks. You could see Wall Street reacting in the month of July. Equity analysts, upgrades versus downgrades goes sharply negative. We have that up. So, all right. So Charlie Munger had this great quote in 21. I think it's e equally applicable this year, which is if you're not confused, you have no idea what's going on, which is an amazing, right? It's an amazing quote because while I'm showing you these upgrades, downgrades and the recession becoming the consensus call, also in July, we, re we just regained every single lost COVID job at the same time. So how do you take these two disparate pieces of information and process them and come up with anything uh, uh, resulting in clarity. I think stimulus is the missing piece of the puzzle. Like, why isn't the data turning? And this, is, this is the COVID job. Look at this. So this happens as everyone's downgrading 
uh, the, the environment. It's very tough to understand. And then we have so. retailers coming out and saying that things are dire. The inflation is killing the customers. And then you had other companies like uh, Visa and others saying that. The, what are you talking about? The there was a, there was a component of people spending money on services, right? Not goods. It was a total transition. That was kind of the the after COVID boom of people going out and experiencing people that hadn't traveled in a while. So it's it's been a very confusing time as far as trying to pinpoint. But let me just say to quickly jump ahead, we're going to have a big recession in 2023. And the reason we have is going to be pretty simple. We're just now getting the impact of all these rate hikes. These rate hikes are just seeping in right now. And, and, they, so and they lag. The consumer savings rates yeah. at an all-time low and credits at an all-time high in terms of what's been taken out. I just don't see how So, Danny, let work. me ask you a question. This may be wishful thinking, but how much of that risk has the market priced in? Probably not, not even close to enough. Not even close. Not even close. In October, at the lows, down S&P down 25%, right, it, it was pricing in probably, like, base case, a mild recession. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Up 17.5% off those lows, down 16 or 17% of the year, it's not. I would have felt better if this year much. ended down 23%. But if you end down, well, how much time? How many days we got left? Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, August largest bear market rally of the year. This was another one that was so tough to to live. Oh, this was the chart. Look, look at this. You had never had. I a went rally from naked like a month earlier to lying down on the ground. But yeah, that was a good one. This is this is a bear market rally for the ages, and people were looking at that and they were saying fifty three percent off the lows, and you're still saying it's a bear market rally. It was very hard to say yes, but it, that's it was. That's actually what turned out to be. Uh, this is the moment the S and P 500 spent 100 consecutive days below the 200-day moving average, which does not happen very often. Do this second one, yeah. Do this one. Um, so as you can see, that experience of this year, the amount of time below the 200-day is fairly rare. Um, and usually when you get to this level, it gets much worse. Let's is, that keep the, it, yeah. is that the takeaway from yeah. that? Let's keep it moving. Okay. Should we fast forward to this? Uh, we were going to do something on vibe session, but we'll skip that. Okay. Pardon me? Vi the vibe session. <laughs> That's our friend Kyla Scanlon published this in the New York Times. The vibe session. Not a real recession, but everybody thinks it's a recession, so it's more like a vibe session. I learned. No, I no learned. good. It's been, there was the, the, the just was, she why stole does, that from Milton why, Friedman. Why, why does everyone feel so shitty when the data is like yeah. pretty okay? No, it was, I thought it was a good observation. Like the data was still pretty okay. Everyone has their job. Why is the R word in every conversation? I thought that was pretty pretty reasonable. Five. Um, Bed Bath and Beyond up three hundred percent in August, and then Ryan Cohen pulled off the rug pull of a century. Um, how did this go down? I don't remember the details, but this Danny chart does. this chart looks like the VIX like explosion. There's a lot of stocks that debt, debt was trading at 30 to 40 cents, but the equity was still trading at ridiculous values, and that's all that was. It's his inability to refinance. But then he sold it. He sold, no, but he what sold he it did was he, I sold? he created a short squeeze. You remember he bought yeah. all of these out-of-the-money calls, way out-of-the-money oh, calls, right. and then they right. kind of put put it out there, whether he leaked it or whether it was a filing, but actually he filed, and then somebody saw it a few days and later. Then picked it up. But this is the thing, yeah. and it, we, we, the fact that you guys are all here, we love it. Don't be a fucking moron in the market. Don't follow these people. I mean, like seriously, like Wait, if you're still buying meme stocks, <laughs> was that that, that fiscal in flows guy? December of yeah, exactly. 2022. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like uh, then you deserve to. Yeah. You should be neutered. Ryan Ryan Cohen through his RC Ventures filed a Form 144 just minutes before the close. Right. Of course, telegraphing his intentions to sell 9.4 million shares starting on August 16th. This is equal to 9.8 of Bed Bath & Beyond shares outstanding and is the full amount of stock 
owned by Mr. Yeah, he, Cohen. He, he rugged them. That was bad. He rugged them yeah. hard. By the way, the next week, we heard the creditors, they couldn't get funding. And there should have been insider trading there, and I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, but no, no one ever did anything about it, so he was able to keep rug going. Rugged pull is a, twi- is a crypto term, but we've adopted it in the stock market. I think it's here to stay. I kind of like it. I don't like the act, the action itself, but Friday it's Night pre- Dirty is also. Good. It's a pretty great, like it's a pretty great evocative it term. Sounds for like what Danny that thinks this be a rug pull in twenty three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, September. Uh, this is when England went berserk. So this is Liz Truss, the incoming Prime Minister of Britain. She wants to do like a Reaganomics thing. She introduces oh, was, tax, was that tax cuts? She wanted to do tax cuts into inflation, and, and it didn't go kicked, well. The market so the basically BOE, yeah. kicked her out BOE of office. wasn't happy. So she wanted to do this thing with, uh, and the currency and the bond markets kicked her out in uh, a month, weeks. six weeks, six weeks, and I think that's the quickest prime ministership. In the history of England, and that's including like they used to cut people's heads off. <laughs> like right. that was that was pretty quick. Uh, Neil Kashkari at the Minneapolis Fed signaled that weak stock prices are among the yeah, things. Yeah, he's the an central- asshole. I don't. I didn't. I didn't like this. I want you to go on this. He he said this was Neil. I think he fucking tweeted this. He said. I was actually happy yeah. to see how Chair Powell's Jackson Hole speech yeah. was received. What, it's a, uh, why a, you go back and look. This? this is a guy, by the way. I mean, you go back a year or so, no inflation. He he is so colossally full of shit, and then he subsequently turned. It's amazing, and there's no there are no repercussions for these mostly men, by the way. And the fact that he's still involved in some capacities of. Joke. Should the Fed be openly talking about whether or not they like that the stock market went up or down? No, of course not. Shouldn't be in their purview. I know that it is. I mean, the fact, I, listen, I guarantee that they watch clearly, but it shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be even a consideration. Alan Greenspan used to testify before Congress for six hours. And then when he was done, nobody had any idea what he said. And actually, it's an actual quote. Somebody said, you did a good job. Everyone got yeah. what you said. He said, then I, then I made a mistake. Uh, I like, I'm, I'm old school like you on this stuff. I preferred it when they shut up. They did Humphrey Hawkins testimony twice a year. And they, there be- was a time before us even when you didn't even know if they did a rate hike or not. You like, you found out later. There was no announce. It wasn't a Super Bowl every month. The fact that I, I will tell you, you know, as we mentioned, we've been doing the show a long time. You couldn't name one Fed official. Now they parade these again, mostly men out. Every freaking day. You yeah. can rattle off six or seven names. It's a joke. They've become celebrities they shouldn't be. And again, I'll say this here and then I'm not going to talk again. Amongst the many villains of the 21st century, and there are a lot, central bankers are going to be at the top of the list. Brutal. All true. Right. We got some. You do it. It's do absolutely the applause. true. <laughs> All right. Everybody. All right. Uh, also in September, future proof. Uh, who's there? Anybody go? Anybody there? A couple? Okay, a lot of people went. I was there. <laughs> Dan and Danny were there. Guy, uh, guy had a uh, a dentist appointment. No, wh- wh- when did this happen? This future proof. <laughs> this was September. You no, go, it was you in go, Sicily. You hey, if you watch this show, what's it called? The White Lotus. Holy shit! Season two is in Sicily. I, that's where we stayed. That place stayed is at the fucking fantastic. The yeah. San Domenico Palace. I tell you. You should absolutely go. Uh, shout out to uh, you guys at Future Proof. That was a great event. Uh, it was on the beach. Wait, was it Huntington or Newport Huntington. Beach? That is. Uh, I'm staying in I Newport, put this at the wrong hotel. Big boy from Outcast who performed. Yeah, it was great. It was pretty. Uh, let's pretty get sweet. to December. Whoa! I know we have two more months, but people getting. Uh, Are you guys getting bored? 
All right, well, here's the deal. Josh is buying drinks afterwards. Yeah. So we're, rounding, we're, 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 rounding the, we're rounding the turn. Where Re- record put buying up uh, activity. Is this, is this September or October? What do you guys think is going on here in terms of market structure and derivatives and the spike so in? Real uh, quick. So it's, and I'm, I promise now I really will shut up. No, no, go ahead. When the VIX historically spikes, it's because something unforeseen has come. Like nobody saw something coming. The VIX goes from 22 to 35 in a day. Most of what we've seen over the last year, to a certain extent, has been predictable. So I think people have positioned themselves for that. And that's why you see a VIX that's still trading in the low 20s. It does not suggest, by the way, that the market's on on stable footing whatsoever. I think it just suggests that people are positioning themselves for what we're seeing now, which is going to slow down the process, in my opinion. So all the big down days were either inflation prints or Fed comments. It wasn't like, holy shit, where'd that come from? Right. Well, think about it. I mean, you had event, you, you had event was, risk every week when a different economic data point came out. It was just constant event but it, risk. But it was, Headline you knew risk. it was coming, though, right? You knew you that knew it was coming. was coming. You knew it was going to be bad. And then actually it was. Like, you couldn't fade. You couldn't fade any of this stuff. It, it came, the bad news came true. And we got a hit for it. Can I go back in time one second and then Please. move back forward just real quick? I think the BOE thing, the Bank of England was a much bigger deal with trust being forced out. And here's why. That's a first world economy, right? You got a first yeah. glimpse of what can happen when you don't have the ability to print money anymore and just chase. And that's what that was. And that is not done. But I'm saying that could happen here. We could, you know, it's happened in Japan. You've seen it. So the ability of central banks to print our way out of this mess, that to me was the first red flag. I just um, the other big thing that happened in September, the U.S. dollar peaked at least for now, um, this had been a major negative for stocks all year, and it was up at its peak 19% year-to-date, which is historically a pretty big rally uh, for the dollar. And then we kind of have found out since that, it was like, why is the dollar so strong? Why is it so strong? Turned out it was just an interest rate differential because all of the central banks now are raising their rates, they're catching up, and as a result, the dollar is fading and their currencies are rising. There's nothing special about us. We just happened to have started first and gotten more aggressive than anyone else early. So that, that mystery has been, uh, been solved. Let's do October. So Liz Trust resigns. I don't care who replaced her. The S&P did hit its low for the year, though, in October. And at its lowest point, we were down 25%. So that was the day we got, I think, 8% inflation print. Yes. Dow opened down 1,000, right. rallied hard off the lows, and that, that was the bottom. 13th, 14th, and I think it was that Friday the 14th that uh, Mike Wilson and Morgan Stanley, who's been bearish and correct, went tactically bullish as well yeah. and talked about a potential for a 15% rally, which is effectively exactly what happened over the ensuing two months. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's again— and again, if you go back and look at the VIX, the VIX, those two days, Michael, were trading around 34, and you saw those crazy intraday swings. So I'm not saying anything is predictable, but if you go back and look at it, it actually made a lot of sense. I've been using VIX 20 uh, as like, I don't care what your outlook is, just buy them. And then VIX, uh, excuse me, VIX 30. And VIX 20 is like, why are you so calm? Like, and if you did that this year, it, it worked beautifully. You didn't have to be an expert in anything. Those are just like, that, that's that range that uh, I think you could trade against. So to, so to Danny's point about how many days do we have left um, in December before we, we see how this thing shakes out. Do you out. think that October low holds? No. no I mean, not, it's not going to hold in Q1. I mean, because again. Guy, what about you? No way? I, I think if you do the math, the, the fair value for the S&P is somewhere around 3,200. So I, I do think you see lower first. And I think, by Danny, the way, we that's know you, you don't think that low holds. 
Do you no. think do you think there'll be some support there the next time we get there, if we get there? I mean, it's going to feel horrendous. It'll feel worse than it did this year. The second when time? It, when it drops, yeah, because you're, you're going to go through those lows from 2022. But there'll be, there'll be a lot of opportunities. And I'm just, you know, you got to start dollar cost averaging. You, gotta be, you have to be liquid now if you want to do something about that yeah. at, when the time comes. What do you think? Do those lows hold? No. Nobody wants to go against uh, show of hands to the October 22 lows hold in 23. Not one hand? Attaboy. Oh God, uh, two, got two hands. I may have to change my... You still, you still want to be there? Okay. Uh, November, Masayoshi Son, who is my favorite investor of all time from an entertainment standpoint. I don't... Right? Nobody Unbelievable. Beats. Best quotes of well, all... Wait, I mean, he, invested, he invested billions of dollars in community-adjusted EBITDA. He loves it. Yeah, I mean, that was... Because he had we, a gut feeling. That was his WeWork yeah. um, thesis. This guy, this guy is the maybe the greatest gambler of all time. I love it. I got Alibaba, and that was pretty much, you know. Uh, Masayoshi Son steps away from SoftBank. That's November. He'll be back, that son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yields peaked, maybe. Uh, Let's throw this up. Here's the one-year, 10-year, two-year, three-month. You get the idea. They all started to roll at the same time. Yeah, but look at the one, look at the short short part. So we're looking at the one-year is purple, the two-year is blue. So inverted. And the three-month is green. They're holding high. The only thing falling is the 10-year. And if we had the 20 and 30, it would be the same thing. Long-term rates are falling and short-term is not. The, I think the biggest question here is what would be the conditions in which yields started to go up again? I mean, that that's kind of the most important thing. And that brings us back to possibly this stagflationary environment. You know, right now, the 10-years come off 43 to 3.5%. Um, and, and again, we've been talking about this. I think it is reflective of future growth, which speaks to the idea idea of a recession next year but you know we we've been emphatic like they peaked they peaked for like in, in my opinion because we have a fed balance sheet that's eight and a half trillion dollars right and so they're not going to be able to meaningfully work off too much more so they can't re- have rates too much higher and the fact that their balance sheet is so high is a drag on growth it's like this like really bad cycle so you, like bond, you like bonds here uh two two-year treasury what is it four 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 right four, now. No, four, it's down to four two. one five. Four, one. It's already pulled. It's a, yeah. they're telling you the Fed. They're buying up the bonds. Yeah. You 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 let you must like short term bonds here then. Given yeah, your outlook. I own a lot of a lot of Buy bonds. Buy them all day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But, the, but the bond markets, the bond markets, the fixed income uh, people are always smarter than the equity people to begin with. So the bond market is giving you a prelude to what Dan just said. What's going to happen, right? So if the, inflation falls as fast as it it is projected to fall, who the hell knows? Four um, percent is going to look great. Like, well, listen, if the Fed, if you really believe they're going to go to 5%, two years, so that's, you know, they obviously are at the very short end, but they're telling you two years from now, right, what it's going to look, the Fed will have cut. Half to. will already be cutting. So, but the 10-year yield's telling you things are going to drastically slow. And the scary part would be if, like I just mentioned, the BOE, if you had that situation here, right, where all of a sudden $31 trillion in debt matter, but that's a different podcast. But you think the Fed cuts in 23? I do. You would double down, Dan? Show of hands, does the Fed cut in 23? Yeah. Well, I'm feeling good but, about it. But, but I guess the, the, then the, I'm there too. Hold on. Think, everyone has recession. Gonna, hold on. Everyone has no recession and in, in here and S and P making new lows. But you don't have the Fed cutting rates in 23. That doesn't. I think they'll have that no. Doesn't work. I think they'll have no choice. Yeah, I do too. Uh, what do you think is to trigger five percent unemployment? Four, four and a half. I Man, I just think inflation is going to slow dramatically in in 2023. The Dow minus the Nasdaq 100. We basically did this. It's just, it's value versus growth. But the, the we had a month. What month was this? Was this November? 
The Dow had the best month relative to the NASDAQ going back to. Where's the United Healthcare guy in here? That was why. Dow. Yeah, because the, the United Healthcare. Uh, e- e- Elon Musk. Uh, we don't need to do this again. Ignites the Twitter shit show. We're going we're gonna to skip that, but that's like currently happening. Can we do one thing just to spice this up? Because you guys want to have some fun, get Danny uh, going on Tesla and, and Elon. Here's the thing. We, 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 we basically talked about Elon Musk every week. We need room for uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, though. So Okay, just really quick. Like, tell the audience, Danny, why you think Elon is important from a from a, a behavioral finance standpoint. Like if we're trying to figure out how this whole cycle ends, right? Like like meaning, you know, this bubble. We've seen lots of asset bubbles, and they're all coming undone. Why is this one really important? Well, because it to me, if you guys heard me talk about it, it's kind of everything I think that's been wrong about this cycle, right? Um, disregard for the laws and the rules, both it's both in in the securities business and also in the product business that's one following this quote genius right who who just puts on a you know really a show and he's a great showman i mean ringling brothers you know he, he, he's really tremendous and but people just blindly following him around and you know again i, I i'm not going to say that there's accounting irregularities necessarily whatever it might be but he's gotten away with a lot i mean there's three doj investigations we know that there's nhtsa investigation there's the ftc show me a company that is still trading like this when it's still happening so Again, people are going to own this thing. They're going to follow follow the inde- this guy. The index now owns it. Yeah. Well, look, look at the so largest holders of America. Well, you know where it, wait, wait, you know where, it clo- you know where it closed today? So $150. And on November 16th, 2020, so oh, like two years ago, okay, two years ago, it closed. It was trading at 140 and the S&P 500, it was added to that. Its stock doubled in a month and a half. And it's it went from that 140 that. to 280. So it's round trip the entire thing. And I just think psychologically... That's important also. Well, put it put this in perspective. It's split five for one and three for one. So that's 15 for one. We all agree on that? Yeah. So wait, is that how that works? Well, so it so funding secured was 420, right? Okay. That was yes. 2018. Yes. 420 equals today is we'd be $28 on apples to apples Holy basis. Shit, it's up yeah. that much from yeah. 420? It's above two thousand on a split adjusted basis. So when you again to Batnick's point it before, eight, it's it not, went up eight hundred percent in twenty twenty one. That hurt. That's how that happened. It yeah. was up 10x. Yeah, it's been crazy. So my my point is that people think it's a buy because it's down a lot. Look at this thing. He's he's sold more stock in the last 13 months than Tesla has ever made. He sold 40 billion dollars worth of stock, right? I mean, it's it's really when people look back on this guy, <laughs> SBF should hope this comes soon so they can take the mess off him because it's going to be a spectacular you, story. You you think this can only go in one direction at this point? Like like it's got it's gone past the point of no return. I, I kind of am I, I listen. To think I, that way. You know, whatever the trigger ended up being, because it was Twitter, and people started to realize the kind of person that he is, the way he treats his employees. He didn't build the culture at Twitter. He built the culture at SpaceX. He built the culture at Tesla. Even though he didn't start Tesla, that's a whole other story. You were seeing firsthand how he operates. So all those things that you've read about that you want to ignore, willfully ignore, all the racial discrimination suits, the sexual discrimination suits. I mean, kids from how many? I mean, you know, having having children with employees. I mean, all these things he's gotten away with. Mr. ESG, and guess what? He was leaning on the Democrats when he was getting, you got me going, Dan. He was leaning on the Democrats when he got all the subsidies. If he didn't have the subsidies, he wouldn't have made money. So again, he, all the stuff, Solar City, and all the stuff. Do you guys think the government wants to give contracts to a guy who owns one of the largest social platforms in the world and pushes QAnon theories on his thing? I mean, think about that. No, let me just say this. I want to keep this, but I want to keep this in business. So let's be clear. I believe there is more than a 1% possibility that Tesla buys Twitter. 
Danny, you're crazy. I've been, say, I've been saying that for a and year. And why would he I'm do with it? You. And he's, here's why he's going to do it. Because that's Margin how they called. resolve Solar City. That's exactly right, downtown. That's exactly right. So, it hasn't happened yet. By the way, the Solar City, just so we're clear, Cuomo gave a contract in, in upstate New York, $750 million, $800 million to hire all those people, shut that thing down and went away. I mean, I just don't get how this guy continues to get away. I think he's, you know. Can he sell Tesla? Is the board... The board will let him sell Tesla the board? Twitter. The board's a the joke. The board? His brother. <laughs> Practice? To the board? Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> All right. Move but on. The, the sorry. business. Dan, the you got me. I'm sweating. The business. <laughs> but they're still selling millions of cars, which is. So, That's the other thing. The I'm competition not, I'm coming. Not I'm not. I've never been. I've never been in Tesla. I missed the whole run up. I'm not like uh, defending it, but. Nobody that was bearish on Tesla five years ago ever thought they would be able to produce cars at the rate they if are. If he had just kept— That was one of the biggest bear cases, the right? Model S. If he had just—let's say he was a Ferrari of electric vehicles. That's all he wanted to do. And if he had done that, granted, wouldn't got wouldn't gotten over a trillion dollars, I could see this thing being okay, but he can't help himself, so. Okay. But he's but, owned by the Chinese at this point. I mean, look at all the money that he has is in China. Wait, you're saying free speech guy is owned by the Chinese? Yeah, yeah. So that's the biggest, that, that's the dumbest thing about it. By the way, we want to thank our sponsor for this evening, uh, <laughs> Tesla Motors. <laughs> so, I'll be off Twitter. And the as People's of Republic evening, of China. But, then, but, but this is, I'll just, this is my last point here. So he's done this because he literally tweeted this. He loves humanity and he believes something that Josh doesn't believe, that the world deserves a, a digital town square. And he believes in free speech, although that he's just, how many Batman? How many journalists has he just cut off? Because, so, so my, my, so here's my last point on this: is that China is so important from uh, production, from demand, and from rare earth materials and, and the cheap like, labor, for, and cheap labor for his future growth. And yet, he he, so he just cozies up to the the Communist Party there, but yet he believes in free speech everywhere else. And it doesn't make any sense because all of our digital companies or social have no access to that market over there, right? So this is the thing that I think kind of comes unwound in the next year or so. And I just don't think that, you know, the, the, this whole the thing started, makes this no whole sense. thing started with a tweet. Like, what if I buy Twitter? And someone was like, I dare you to do it. Like, <laughs> it, like yeah. that's really and what 54 20. Uh, all right. We're going to skip ahead to the last thing we're going to do tonight. Sadly, we will not have the time to discuss the midterm elections, but who cares? Uh, December 12th, police arrest Bankman Freed in the Bahamas with the U S expected to file for his extradition. Uh, I am told, thank thankfully, vegan meals are being delivered to the Bahamian prison, which is great. Uh, U.S. authorities declined to comment. Uh, all right, so the charges are uh, wire fraud, securities fraud, conspiracy of those two things, money laundering. It's a very long list of charges. It's civil. It's criminal. And uh, it has, uh, I think— become arguably this will be one of the biggest stories Call of, me the, crazy, of the decade but I think also. he's telling the truth. Who, Sam? He just he has kind eyes is what I've always somebody, said. Somebody, somebody just won Twitter this is like a few weeks ago and said, you know, how can you trust an obese vegan? Like that, that was, that was, and I, I was like, you know what? I called him Fat Fred Savage and, and they, these guys got mad at me. I don't, what's wrong with that? Uh, is it like, this is as big as Madoff. There's a million creditors in this case. There are more victims of this than Madoff by far. The dollar amount is roughly equivalent. We think it's like 50 billion they were gambling uh, or that might be missing. Um, friend of ours referred to him as a financial terrorist. He blew himself up and anyone in proximity, anyone that's ever taken a lunch with him or taken an investment from him or had a meeting on record with him or put money on any of his plat, like everyone's f***ed. 
professional athlete. Like it's it's really it looks like terrorism, like almost. Wor you know? Worst take ever. Bill Ackman, uh, a Pershing Square, came on Twitter to defend him. You saw that, right? Over the last yeah, few was, weeks. I mean, it's like. How is he still having? Did he investors? delete that tweet? Yeah. It's he? gone. Good, good call. Well, no. O'Leary doubled down. He said, "You know what? I, me too." What'd you think? Did you guys watch uh, O'Leary on uh, Squawk this morning? Horrible. That's embarrassing. That was crazy. No that comment. was crazy, though. Yeah, just... uh, well, I, well, you look like you want to say something. I, I just want to say what there's. There's one really. There's one really interesting aspect of what's gone on here. So it wasn't just all these fancy individuals and organizations, whether they be VCs or strategic investors who did no due diligence on this guy, but it was also the people that were willing to take his money too, right? And so I think what you're talking about with this guy, Mr. Wonderful from, um, you know, uh, reality show, yeah, Shark Tank, you know, he, he took $15 million to use his social presence and his media presence and his TV celebrity to push this thing and push the guy. If you go back and you look at a lot of those interviews, he's literally talking about this genius. And so it's not just the people who invest like shame on them for doing no diligence. It's the people that were using their supposed celebrity or their influence and they took the money just to be a shill for the if you're, guy. If you're Tom Brady, your agent probably brings you a thousand things a year and you say no to like 990 of them and you do 10. And this was just like one of the 10 that got through. And like, what do you want? Tom Brady to do a forensic audit of this guy's books? The guy didn't even keep books. So it's like, I feel a little bit bad for like, who else? Steph Curry, uh, Shaq. Like, what do you want? I don't. He I, didn't do it. Wait, wait, guy. Right. Uh, you, guy thank, thank God you're here. You've, you've helped me. <laughs> I don't know anything that but I'm I, saying. I don't, so. I don't feel bad for those I'm guys. I'm just putting people in this shit. Larry John McEnroe, maybe. Larry David. <laughs> those guys, they make so much money. And you just said, like, 2% of the endorsement stuff gets through that's not Nike or this and that or whatever. What, Hold what are on. you doing? Do you th all the people yelling at Kevin O'Leary, by the way, we're not friends. All the people yelling at Kevin O'Leary, though, like, if FTX was like, we'll give you $15 million to like hang out with Sam in the Bahamas twice a year. Like a lot of people would have taken the money. Yes or no? Now, you know what? We have a company together, okay? And when we're gonna do a deal with somebody, I'm, I'm not lying to you, we do a background check on them. Okay, do because a background check on him, he'll probably pass. No, no one did any due diligence on the what, guy. What do you think, is in, his, what do you think is in his background? He, what, didn't he go to Stanford? Dude, MIT. listen, you talk MIT, to people who work at Jordan Street, you know how this business is. Oh, that guy sucks, he never made any money. People oh, so talk you, like that, all. just talk to people. Yeah. Like, talk to people. But in, well, he in made money like Jane Street. He was a high-frequency no trader. He was a quant trader at Jane right. Street. So he was a genius for picking people off for, you know. All right. We've been going for 90 minutes. Let's, end with, the, let's end with a cheery slide. So this is from Bespoke. We've had 16 down 1% days this year. That is the most. What's in, the cheery part of this? There's no cheery part. The cheery part is. Uh, you just, no, you a, just rugged us. There's no, I just rugged you. Uh, so uh, most people in the <laughs> audience the shit out of us, and man. on the stage think that 2023 is more more of the same. Yeah. I what think. about do you have down two percent days? Sure, it looks the same. Okay, it's the same. It's, thing. E it's yeah. equally hey, notable. It's, gonna be rough. it's always quicker right? than you think. It's <laughs> going to go quicker than you think. We want to do a couple of quick thank yous. Number one, um, my staff and and the staff of On the Tape Pod. Uh, doing a lot of stuff in the background. They're not talking into microphones. They're not on camera. Um, but Nicole, John, Duncan, give you guys a shout out. Yeah, thanks to Jacob and Steven and Amanda was definitely involved in this. And we, we also want to thank... Um, oh, sorry. Our research assistant could not be here. Uh, Sean, he's, he's 
somewhere out in the mountains in America, but has done a lot of work on the charts and the doc for tonight. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it was great. And, and so thank you guys. And also, Josh, thank you for bringing the idea of No Kid Hungry. You know, on behalf of our, we have a lot of great sponsors and we would not be able to do what we do. I, I guess we could turn on mics and squawk about the markets, but, you know, CME Group, iConnections, FactSet, SoFi. NASDAQ. Um, yeah, no, well, Isabella, that's, shout, but those, those are sponsors in particular. We're going to give $10,000 um, by Risk Reversal Media to No Kid Hungry on their behalf. So thank you guys. Like, we appreciate it. And we appreciate all the money that you guys gave too. So. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to our shows. Uh, we would have nothing to do and no one to talk to if it weren't for uh, all of you. So we appreciate it so much. And here's to maybe not a great year in the markets next year, but another great year for financial content. We will be with you. I promise. Every week, we, you guys will be with us. We'll be with you. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.